Good morning. We are glad you're here today. Very thankful for the first day of the week, the opportunity to be together. We hope today is a good day for you. And if you're visiting with us, we want you to know how happy that we are that you're with us today. We encourage you to come back. We'd love to have you every week here as a part of our family. We're always thankful to have the opportunity to be together as family members. I want to begin today by asking this question. How many of you are still memorizing weekly verses? Everybody doing that? Good deal. How many of you could recite all of the verses? There's a principle that you're familiar with. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. And so what I want to encourage you to do, listen, memorize these verses, but you need to use them every week. And, I mean, it's great to memorize them, but you don't want it in your mind one week and out of the mind the next. And so make an effort to go back and to memorize these verses and to use them in, in well, try to use them in your conversations with people. I do want to just very quickly... There are sets of our memory cards in the wooden box out in the foyer. There is one set for the first six weeks, and there is a second set for the latter six weeks. And some of these are hole punched, some are not. There are also rings available if you want to bind them all together. If you need your cards hole punched, Nancy said she'll be in the workroom after services today. She'll be happy to do that for you. So I would encourage you to get a, get a set of the cards and use those really as flashcards. You can put them in your pocket, in your purse if you're a lady, and carry those with you and pull them out from time to time and refresh your memory. You'll be glad you did. All right, we're going to be looking today at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 down through verse 19 in our study together today. And what I want us to do this morning in our study together talk about some guidelines for life. In just about every realm of life, there are certain guidelines. If you're a student, you understand that there are guidelines, there are expectations, and those guidelines are intended as parameters to help you become a better student. If you have a job, you understand that there are certain guidelines, and you follow those guidelines, it will help you become more successful at what you do. Well, by the same token, God has given us some guidelines to follow that will help us as we run the Christian race, as we live for Christ, because we want, to, we want to do our best to live within the parameters of God's Word. In so doing, we know that God will bless us. And so I want to begin today in verse 6, and I want to, I want to start our lesson today together by first of all talking about the truth about life. There are a lot of people that have a lot of different concepts of life and what life is all about and what will bring them happiness and satisfaction and contentment in life. And Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 re reminds us of some divine truths that will help us as we navigate our way here on planet Earth. So I want to begin by first of all talking about the recipe for a quality life. Now, if you like to bake or cook, and I don't do either, 
About the best I can do is put something in the microwave, and I can't do that very well either at times. But you understand that there are certain ingredients that you use in order to bake cakes or cookies or some other type of dish. And if you follow the, if you follow the ingredients or the recipe, then ultimately what you put in the oven is going to come out the way you intended. Well, what Paul does is speaks to us about the recipe for life. And I want to begin by talking about the challenge of contentment in life. Now listen to what Paul said. Godliness with contentment is great gain. How many people in our world today would you say, under the best case scenario, are content with where they are? Would you say 50% of the people are content? 75%? Would you say that 90% of the people in our world today are content with their state in life? I would imagine if we were to do some type of statistical analysis that there would be a lot of people that would say, you know what, I'm really not where I want to be. And there are a lot of people that are chasing certain things in life and because they haven't, as a result of not having laid hold of those things, they would say, you know, I'm just not content. Matter of fact, I'm discontent, dissatisfied with where I'm in life. So the challenge of finding contentment in life, for many, many people, it is very elusive. There are a lot of people when they go back and they survey their life and they think about where they are in life. Quite frankly, it just doesn't measure up to what they had envisioned. And I understand that. And I understand how sometimes we have great expectations and things don't go as planned. We have ideals and we we are reaching for certain things in life, but they just never materialize. So, the first thing, the challenge. But then, the criterion. What about the criterion for contentment? Listen again to what Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then note, if you would, this divine truth. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Do you find that interesting? That Paul would say, you know, if I have the necessities of life, then I'm content. You need to understand something about Paul. Paul had come to a point and time in his life that he had embraced contentment. Now, you know, there are a lot of people in our world today, they're looking for contentment. And sadly, they don't have it. And they're yearning for contentment and satisfaction and happiness in life. And I would agree that there are a lot of folks that are unhappy and discontent because the circumstances of their life are not where they ought to be, or maybe not what they want them to be. But Paul would say in writing to the church at Philippi, I have learned in whatever state I am in, therein to be content, to be abased, to abound, 
Everywhere in all things, he said, I've learned to be full, to be hungry. Now think about that for a minute. Paul had learned something about contentment in life. Do you think it's possible sometimes that our expectations are unrealistic, scripturally speaking? Do you think that possibly what we have envisioned in our own mind is not reality? I think Paul is saying, you know, I've learned, to, I've learned a lot of things in life, and one of the things that I've learned is my contentment is not based on externals in life. If that were the case, then you look at Paul, and Paul faced a lot of obstacles, a lot of heartaches, a lot of trials and deprivations. He wrote Philippians six years prior to penning his last letter to Timothy. And Paul here, I think, had learned a lot of things in life. And so as I think about the criterion for contentment in life, it can be had. And you can be satisfied and happy. And I want you to know, and I believe this, I believe God wants us to find contentment and happiness in life. I really do. I think when, when we step back and look at all the many blessings that God has lavished upon us, and I mean lavished upon us, God is interested in our well-being and He has invested in our well-being. So He's interested in us achieving what I would call a quality life. Now, I think about what Paul says here about a quality life, but now I want you to think about the quantity of life. And this has to do with the summation of life, our tenure here on planet Earth. And Paul is reminding us about the quantity of life. That being said, listen now to what Paul said. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Now, we can, we can look at this from a lot of different angles, and yet the conclusion is the same. This is a fact, isn't it? It's a fact of life. We came into this world with nothing, and as Paul said, we're going to leave with nothing. Do you remember Job and the long ago, after having experienced tremendous losses in his life? He lost his wealth. He lost ten of his children. And he said, Naked have I come forth from my mother's womb. And he said, Naked shall I return there. Job simply acknowledging a fact that we all know. The fact of the matter is we came into the world with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing. And so what does, that, what does that say about the things that we accumulate here on earth? Does God intend us to enjoy the blessings of material life? Well, of course He does. God wants us to enjoy life, doesn't He? He wants us to have a quality life. But as I think about some of the facts with regard to life, the bottom line is we came into this world with nothing and we are leaving with nothing. Many of us were stunned a couple of weeks ago when Kobe Bryant was killed along with eight other people in a helicopter crash. When I saw 
that flash on the screen on television. I couldn't believe it. And yet, what does that do? It reminds us of not just the facts of life. And, and I went back and did some research. Kobe Bryant, five-time world champion. Most valuable player in two world championship series. Estimated worth over $700 million. He just won an Oscar. I mean, this guy, this guy had not just created a life, but not only created a life in basketball, but he created and was in the process of creating a life outside basketball. And you think about the rings and the trophies and the banners and the jerseys and the acclaim and the bank accounts and the houses and all these things. But when I saw that sobering piece of news, all of that, for what? I mean, the bottom line, you can't take it with you, can you? So it reminds us of the facts with regard to life, but the frailty of life. Didn't Job say man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble? Didn't the Hebrew writer say it is appointed unto man once to die, after this cometh the judgment? Didn't James compare life to a vapor that appears for a little while, and then what did he say? It vanishes away, doesn't it? The psalmist, you remember the psalmist talked about how the days of our years, we measure those days in years, don't we? And he said, we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age. But he said, it is soon cut off and what happens? We fly away, don't we? We're not going to be here forever. That is a fact. And it reminds us of the frailty of life. I can't help but think about the psalmist many, many years ago. And I can picture an aged person looking back over life and making this statement, remember how short my time is. Let me tell you, the older you get, you realize time is no longer on your side, is it? So, first, the truth about life. But then there's a second thing. And this has to do with the threat to life. And Paul's going to talk about the threat that we face in life. And first he addresses our attitude toward wealth. What is your attitude toward wealth, toward the things of life? He's going to begin by talking about people who have misplaced goals in life. So I want you to listen to what he said beginning in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So let's think about that for a minute. What about misplaced goals in life? 
Is there anything wrong with being wealthy? I don't know of anything intrinsically wrong with having money or material goods. As a matter of fact, I can go back in Scripture and I read about Abraham. Abraham was called the friend of God. In Genesis chapter 13, the Bible tells us he was exceedingly rich. He was a wealthy man, wasn't he? I think Job was a wealthy man. He had a lot going for him. So I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with wealth, material goods, or money. The problem, however, is when our goals in life are secular rather than spiritual. The danger is when life is built around things. When we have misplaced priorities in life. The idea is we're, we're all about business and all about wealth and all about riches. Solomon, and Solomon was a wealthy man, and I tend to believe that some of his wealth got him into trouble. But Solomon said in the long ago in Proverbs chapter 23 that riches make themselves wings and fly away toward heaven like an eagle. And the bottom line is <clears throat> there are a lot of people that they have been in pursuit of riches and wealth, and they want to be somebody. And how many people do you know that have had everything and lost it all? I read a statistic sometime back, somewhat alarming, if not amazing. The large percentage of people that had played in the NBA, and we're talking about guys that had made millions and millions and millions of dollars, completely broke, had everything, lost everything. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we put so much emphasis on the material side of life that we do forget about the spiritual. But then there is this danger of material gain, or as Paul would say, greed. Listen again, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He didn't say it's evil in and of itself. He said it is a root. It can lead to a lot of kinds of evil. He said, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. And by the way, greediness, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, is equated to covetousness. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke 12, 15? Beware and take heed of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Now let that sink in for a minute. In our world today, if you want to be somebody, in many cases, it's about who you are and what you have, isn't it? It's about saying, you know what, I'm the CEO of this corporation or I have this position in life, or I've climbed this ladder in life, or it's about I own this much land, or I live in this, in this residential neighborhood, or I'm driving this kind of car, I'm wearing these kinds of clothes. It's about stuff. It's about what we have. How many people, and we know them, how many people 
have been more concerned about their earthly bank account than their heavenly bank account. In Luke 12, when Jesus said, Beware of covetousness, a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You remember he told a parable about a farmer whose barns were overflowing. As a matter of fact, he said, Business is good. He said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater, and there I'm going to bestow all my fruits and goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods later for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. You remember what God said? God said, you're foolish. And why was that? Because He said, let me tell you what, you're going to die tonight. And all the things that you've accumulated, who will possess them now? I mentioned Kobe Bryant a minute ago. All of his assets will be divided up. Jerseys, rings, banners, stocks, bonds, land, money in the bank, it'll all be divided up. Somebody else is going to get the stuff that he, accumul- that he worked for and accumulated. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Look, I'm all, I'm all about having a good bank account here. But we need to be more concerned about our bank account on the other side, don't we? And really, that's what it's all about, isn't it? And didn't Jesus say where you're Heart is there, your treasure will be also. So you think about the danger of material gain. And by the way, that word pierced in verse 10. He said those who are greedy for more and more in this world, he said they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And the idea is they torture their soul with the sorrows of life. I've known a lot of folks that have had a lot of things in life. And I have read about some people that have had, as we would say, they have had it all. They've had fame and they've had fortune. And they've had everything that we think in our mind, in our heart of hearts, will make us happy. And you know what? They are are sadly, in many respects, unhappy, discontented, dissatisfied, and many are no longer here, some of whom they have taken their own lives. They thought it would bring them happiness and contentment, but guess what? It didn't. All I'm saying is there's something more to life than what you see. That's why Paul said, look, it's a threat. Don't let your faith be destroyed by the material side of life. And so, now note if you would, his admonition to the wealthy. Drop down, look at verse 17. In verse 17, Paul begins by saying, as a wealthy individual, and I would classify all of us as wealthy people, wouldn't you? When you look at what the world has at large, the poorest of the poor in America are still wealthy when you look at the world at large. So the first thing he says is, you need to learn to be humble. Well, why is that? Listen to what he said. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. 
How many times have you heard somebody say, you know, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. And I did this, and I did that, and I built this. And how many, how many times have you heard people gloat over their accomplishments? Look, look, there's, there's a lot to be said for being proud for our accomplishments in life. But some folks have a haughty, egotistical, arrogant air about them, don't they? And they want you to know, look, I am somebody, and they look down their nose at you. So what Paul is saying is, look, don't put your trust in uncertain riches. Why? Because as Solomon said, riches make themselves like wings and they fly away. Here today, gone tomorrow. He said, don't fall into that trap. Here's what I want you to do. He said, you need to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Everything you have, everything I possess, ultimately, it's all said and done, really, I don't own anything. We're just a steward of what we have, aren't we? In many cases, what, what we have was here before we got here. It'll be here long after we're gone. And Paul said that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. So learning to recognize the source of all of our blessings. James said every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above. God is the one who has richly blessed us in this life, hasn't He? You think about how blessed you are every day to wake up with the roof over your head, to get up in the morning and to smell fresh coffee brewing. And to be able to walk and talk and move and to enjoy life. To be able to put on fine clothes. To have a good job and to have financial resources to care for your family. Where did all that come from? From God. God is the source of all of that. So Paul is saying, number one, as a wealthy person, you need to be humble in life. But then, not just humble, but he said, secondly... I want you to be helpful. The things that we have in this life, the blessings that God has bestowed on us are not intended to be solely used by us, are they? God wants us to be a blessing to other people, doesn't He? You think about all that God has given you. I'm talking about material things, all of the money and the resources that God has blessed you with in this life. Are there people in our world today that selfishly use those things for their enjoyment and their pleasure? Yes. And there's nothing wrong with using the things that God's entrusted into our care. But what Paul is saying is, that's not the end all and the be all. You have been blessed to be a blessing to other people. Well, how do I know that? Listen to what Paul said. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us all things to enjoy. Now listen to him. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. All right? That's what Paul's talking about. You've been blessed in life. Be a blessing in the life of somebody else. God's given you a lot. Then help somebody else. Isn't that what he's saying? Isn't that what Jesus taught? I was hungry, what'd you do? You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, what'd you do? You gave me a drink of water. I was naked, you gave me something to wear. He said, I was a stranger and you took me in. You gave me a place to stay. 
It's about serving. Didn't Paul say, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men? Are there opportunities that come our way on a daily basis that we can help somebody? Yes, there are. Paul's saying, look, you've been blessed. And because you've been blessed, you need to, number one, you need to make sure that you're humble in life. Sometimes folks get to thinking too highly of themselves because of what they have. And Paul said you need to be humble and you need to be helpful in life. There are a lot of things that we can do with the resources God's blessed us with. It's not can we, it's will we. And know what he says. Verse 19. He said, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Paul here, echoing what Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. You're sending that money on ahead, aren't you? You're banking in heaven, and God will bless you for it, won't He? Sure He will. All right, very quickly, our time's gone. Thirdly, the thrust of life. What's life all about? Well, Paul tells us. First, there is the resolve in Christ. Look at verse 11. Paul would write to Timothy. Timothy was a young man, may have been in his 30s. And Paul said, but you, old man of God, flee these things. What things? The things we've been discussing. Don't fall into that pitfall. Don't focus on the secular things in life, to the exclusion of the spiritual things in life. That's what he's saying. Sometimes we get so caught up in the secular, the here and now, the world, we forget about the spiritual dimension of life. And Paul's saying, Timothy, don't fall into that trap. You turn away from these things that have the potential to sink your soul. And you follow after what? righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Now think about that. That's spiritual, isn't it? Didn't Paul, when he wrote to the church at Colossae, say, set your affection, set your mind where? On things above and not on things which are upon this earth. One of the things that robs us of happiness and contentment in Christ is we're so focused on the here and now we forget about what's really important in life. And Paul's saying, you want to be grounded as a child of God. You need to be spiritual in your thinking, not just secular. And then note if you would, here's the requirement in Christ. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Let me just stop there. Paul here is saying as a child of God, we need to remember we're at war. You need to understand something. You need to remember, you need to remember you're involved in a battle. You are involved in a battle for your eternal soul. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Peter said, you withstand him steadfast in your faith. We're at war. And the devil's doing everything that he can to cause us to deviate our course in life. So number one, you remember the battle. And number two, you remember your blessings. We don't have time to go further, but listen to what Paul said. He said, you fight the good fight of faith and you lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
as a child of God, remember how blessed you are. Well, why is that? Because as he would point out, the Lord Jesus is going to appear again. And when he comes again, you want to be found among the faithful, don't you? You want that home in heaven. Didn't Paul say that we as God's people live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began? i tell you what, you have an inheritance. Peter said it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, and it is reserved for you in heaven. God has a place for you in heaven. So what we got to do is follow the guidelines. Stay in the lanes, if you please. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you're not a child of God,